At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey guys, it's Christian Bicasso, your host of the Fly Fishing Insider Podcast. This week, we got Michael Matthews on the line. Michael is from Missoula, Montana. And Michael, you were a former um, athlete at the university, actually a linebacker on the football team there at the University of Montana. Um, played quite a few years because you had some interruptions with COVID and some extensions from redshirt, et cetera. So that actually turned out, I think it sounded like in your benefit from an educational standpoint as well. Um, you came from a big fly fishing family, uh, grew up fishing, uh, probably fly fishing as well, had some access to ranches, an uncle who was a guide, et cetera, kind of mentored you a little bit, um, whatnot, and really kind of expanded from there. While you were in school, you were a fly fishing guide, which was really interesting. I thought a lot of people would enjoy that story. So today we're going to talk about uh, life of an athlete and a fly bomb. How did you pull it off? What were some of the scenarios around that? And then at the end of the show, we're going to wrap it up with a tip, as we always do. And it's your um, perspective on a cost-effective way into guiding or fly fishing. Um, being a student, you had bare bones when it came to cash and we're trying to do all those different things. So uh, I bet you have quite a bit of insight there for us. So looking forward to it, Michael, thanks for coming on the show. Um, let's just uh, jump right in here. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, your, um, your time in college and how you, you got there and started into the, the fly bomb scenario. Yeah. Christian, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be on. This is awesome. Uh, like you said, yeah, I've been fishing my entire life. Uh, my uncle and my dad, Mostly, he's been a big influence in the whole thing. He's been in the fishing industry my entire life, so he's kind of instilled all the love of it inside of me. And having the family uh, to support it was awesome and kind of grow the addiction. And um, my dad and mom both went to the University of Montana, and my okay. mom's a Missoula girl, so uh, I always wanted to come back to Missoula and play football for the Grizz was my ultimate goal and. The second that all worked out with football, I signed the papers and got to Missoula as quick as I could. <laughs> um, yeah, once I got to Missoula, the football and the school was all great and making really good friends. And But the fishing was awesome, too. And every free little bit I'd have, I'd get out and fish. There's, you're spoiled in Missoula because you have rivers everywhere. And some of the best trout water in the world is right in your backyard. The mm -hmm. Clark Fork runs right through campus. So... Um, you have great fishing. You could, I could walk from my dorm to fish. And, um, so yeah, I really kind of cut my teeth at that first year, just learning all of these fisheries. And, um, I knew I was capable of it and I knew I wanted to start guiding as soon as I could. It's just how, how can I get into it? And, um, uh, how can I get started? And, uh, so I, that was kind of my goal. It's like, man, if I can pull off, find a way to guide while I'm playing football, it'd be a, be the best of both worlds for me. All right. Pretty sweet gig. Is it, was that something that you kind of went to your dad and uh, family members for some mentorship and um, how, how did you 
go about making that transition? Yeah, I talked to my dad about it a lot, and he would come visit for games or just to see me, and we'd fish, and we'd talk about all that stuff. And uh, my grandfather actually started a ranch just outside of Missoula here on the Clark Fork that my mom grew up on. Um, That's where my uncle started guiding and did most of his guiding. So uh, my grandpa's passed away, and there's a different ranch manager but my uncle had a contact information for him. Um, he had his phone number, so mm. he, he didn't, doesn't really know him at all, but he gave me his phone number and said, Hey, just call him and see if he needs a hand on the ranch and help out. And maybe that can kind of get you, get the ball rolling guiding for you. So, um, I unloaded trucks at night on the night shift at home <laughs> Depot, just kind of making money. My first little, like my first summer here and, called the ranch and told him I could work and do whatever he needed and that I could row a boat if he ever needed an extra guide or I had no clue how it all worked, but I know I knew I could row and fish. So um, they already had help that first summer and he told me to call him next spring. So I right away called him and was like, man, Hey, I'm ready to work again. And uh, if you ever need a hand, call me. And we went out and met each other and, it's like, yeah, you're a big enough kid and uh, <laughs> you try to help out. So uh brought me out to the ranch and I started working for him that day and then just kind of took off. He worked around my football schedule, which is uh can be real demanding. Yeah. Full that division one football, it's year round. It's all summer, all spring, all fall and all winter. So uh they worked around it and if I wasn't at football, I was usually at the ranch helping out however I could and then yeah. Um, started out just working at the ranch, being a ranch hand, whatever they needed. I'd, I'd help them run shuttles when they were all guiding and dreamt about, I was like, man, I want to be rowing a boat with those guys. I don't (laughs) want to be here running shuttles for them. So, uh, it it just progressed naturally and it actually progressed really fast. And my best buddy started working out there with me and, uh, we ended up guiding that summer and then it just took off from there and started until I was guiding half the time and at the ranch half the time. And then by the end of my football and college career, I was guiding full time in the summers and uh, hired some younger football players to come work at the ranch. Cause I was <laughs> too busy on the river. Yeah. Uh, so he kind of held down the ranch for me, but that ranch they did a lot for me at that place. Um, it's a place my grandpa started. My mom grew up on it. So it uh, means a lot to me and, uh, they gave me a place to live. They put me up in a cabin there with my best friend. So oh, cool. uh, we stayed in a little shack throughout the last <laughs> couple of years of school and guided and played football our way through. It was awesome. Let's, let's back up a little bit. That, that first time you went out as a guide, when you like got the handshake from the ranch owner, like, Hey, we're, we're going to put you in the career. You're on the river. What was that like for you? Because it sounded like you put in a lot of time and effort and, you know, work around a ranch just to kind of get to that spot. Oh, yeah, man. I was so nervous. And, of course, it was like a – it wasn't like a real trip. It was a half day putting in just above the ranch and taking out at the ranch. And with some people, all the good anglers went out with the (laughs) more established guides. And we kind of got the – I kind of got the leftovers. But – uh, we had a great time. We caught some fish and I remember being so, I was so 
I was as prepared as I knew how to be, which was terribly unprepared. Unprepared, right. So, but I just tried my best and we caught a couple of fish and everybody had fun and everybody was safe. So it was awesome. I remember I was on cloud nine and called my dad. I was like, man, I'm officially guiding out here now. It's crazy. <laughs> Even though it was one little half day trip. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And then you start, you start guiding, you bring your buddy in, you guys are, you're living in the shack. Uh, yeah. des- describe the shack for us and give us that mental image of what that was like. And how, how yeah. did you, while you're doing it, how did you go from shack to university? Like how far out was the ranch? Et cetera? There, there's a back uh, county road that would take you in through East Missoula and the University of Montana is right on the east side of Missoula. So I could take that back county road from my little trailer there and be on campus in about 20 minutes. Hmm. So it made for so a So it's reasonable. Of, very reasonable. Yep. It's really close to Missoula. It's on the Clark Fork River, the ranches. So um, it was actually very manageable for me. It was really tough. I actually totaled my truck in the winter <laughs> on that county road uh two winters ago trying to make it to one of my 545 lifts before the sand trucks came out and uh, rolled my truck into a tree and so that was the end of that Tacoma but so there were some hiccups along the way but it was a lot of fun and yeah. it was doable for me yeah. in the the shack itself kind of walk through you know what, what was it like you describe that a little bit yeah it's a it's like a double wide trailer but kind of redone to be a house um with like they put drywall into it so it <laughs> okay. was for all like it was pretty much a house we had our bedrooms and then a little kitchen and a little living room um we didn't have heat or anything like that we had a wood stove so uh it gets really cold here in the winter oh, yeah. there were some cold nights spent in that place and <laughs> god bless my girlfriend for at the time she's my fiance now she dealt with it and would come stay with me and you see your breath and are trying to go to bed and we put up with it just long enough. But uh, we, we were on top of a hill that little trailer was cause you could pick it up and move it. So they moved it up to the top of that hill and that's where it's probably going to stay forever now. And we had a little Creek in our backyard that flows into the Clark Fork river. So uh, we could go mess around the Creek and take the dog swimming and, uh, there's a couple fish in there. We'd catch fish in there in the spring, but other than that, it dries up, gets pretty okay. low. Uh, but we had a big, you know, a little bit of a barn behind the place, um, a little shed that we kept all of our stuff in, like our fish and stuff. And then our boats, we just kept out in the front little parking area and parked our trucks wherever we could. Right, right. Now you're you're 20 minutes out. You're living in the shack. You're the D1 player, I mean, you, you, there's a lot of demand. There's, what, probably three practices a day most most of the time. Meetings, you got scheduled study hours, all kinds of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Talk about how you kind of managed your time and, and some of the, the things that you had to do to work around to get on the river. Yeah, when I was guiding in the summers, the summer program – um, at Montana is we'd work out, they have like three workout times that you can take. And so all the guys that work full-time would have to, and you almost have to work full-time to pay for, to 
pay to live. They mm-hmm. give us some money for the summer, but if you want to have spending money, you got to work. So they open the, our first group lift is at five forty-five. It starts and it ends about seven forty-five. So I would load up my boat the night before, hook it up to my truck, and um, leave my house about five every day to get to campus and do my workout, shower really quick, and jump back in the boat or or jump in the truck and go pick up clients either wherever I was meeting them at their hotel or whatever the plan was. Uh, We'd fish all day, and I would have to make my lunches the night before or I would make lunch on the river is what I kind of lean towards. So I would just bring a grill and bring frozen burgers and grill burgers on the river because I had to make weight. I was just going to say, yeah, you're a linebacker. It's not like – I mean, I've seen some of your other photos. You've lost weight and mass since yes. football quite a bit. I yeah, mean, you I'm were your neck used pounds. to look like it, it, it was your shoulders instead of your yeah, neck. Exactly. I've lost so much weight so fast, but that was really hard for me when I was guiding to I keep bet. my weight on. Because everybody goes and gets their sandwiches in the morning and on their way to pick up their clients, but I didn't have time and I can't receive a sandwich. So I would start just, I brought a ton of burgers and I'd make myself a big triple burger and <laughs> eat all the macaroni salad. And, oh uh, but that was all I could do because I didn't have time to go get a sandwich before I picked up my clients because I had to leave campus at 745 and my boat's already on and I got to go straight to the hotel to get them. Yeah. And I would talk to my clients before and say, hey, I play football. I have to work out in the morning. That's in all of them were cool with it. They're like, Hey, if you're five minutes late, no big deal. We know what you're doing. Just give us a call. And it's not like I was sleeping in. Right. <laughs> like I right. Was, right. I was busy, but they were all super understanding. So I'd take my boat from the facility and go pick them up and we fish all day and I'd drop them off at the end of the day. And then we'd have practices in the evenings a couple of days a week. So I'd go straight from dropping clients off straight back to campus put on my cleats and my other stuff and get back on the field with my buddies until dark and then go home and do it all again the next day. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like rolling up to the parking lot with the boat attached and, you know, uh, I mean, you're in Missoula, so I think it's probably more common than most areas. It's not like you're in, uh, you know, some city area, et cetera, but yeah. uh, it may be understood. But did you get hassled a little bit from the guys or were they interested in going out with you? What, what was that like? Oh, yeah, all the time. And like you said, being in Missoula, it's a little more um, understood, but nobody else guides. Everybody fishes on the team and all the coaches are big fishermen. And so it was a lot of, I'd pull in to get all dressed in the locker room with my buddies and talk about where everybody's going fishing or what's happening. And the, our strength coach would always want to hear the fishing report. Oh, where'd you go yesterday? How was the fishing? or the other coaches would come in and check on us in the weight room and they want to hear about it, how the fishing was, where they should go. They're going to go take their boat out. And so it was like Missoula is a special place where that's just part of the culture. And so everybody wants to know what's fishing. What are the fish eating on the Clark fork? Where, where are they eating on the Blackfoot? Right. Where'd you go? Um, so I got a lot of that. And a lot of my buddies giving me a hard time about, 
how they're all working landscaping and construction and I'm sitting on a boat all day. They don't understand that it's right. a job. Oh, you're just strolling down the river. Yeah. You know, no stress, nothing. Yeah. They're right, like, right. oh, you're drinking beer all day. <laughs> down the river while we're out pounding posts. So. Right, right. You're like, so we yeah. did a lot of that back and forth. But it was fun. It's definitely unique. I don't think uh, the coaches have ever had a guide on the team before that they could use for – for advice and everything. So and intel, right. Well, you're you're in you're in an environment of athletes um, which is full of egos. I mean, it's super competitive. How many times did you kind of twist the truth on your spots or what was eaten, et cetera, to kind of throw those guys off or, or vice versa. <laughs> oh yeah. All everybody talks so much trash about where they're fishing and whose fish was bigger. And all of my good friends know exactly what I'm doing all the time, but um, all the, a bunch of the other guys will want to get in on the secrets and want to know who, whose fish is bigger or whatever it is yeah. so there's a lot of that back and forth going on in the locker room and yeah. hunting season everybody's talking about who's killing the biggest deer or who can do that that's so <laughs> it's a really unique place to play football because everybody kind of likes the same stuff you like that's uh-huh. a big reason why they come play for the grizz is they love to hunt fish they love the outdoors uh, a lot of the kids are from montana Okay. So we all like the same stuff, and it just makes it a ton of fun to go in there and be able to talk about hobbies and stuff when uh-huh. you're playing football. That's cool. That's cool. When you um, when you were out fishing, maybe on free time or even guiding, was there ever a, a time where you kind of rolled up on your honey hole and the strength and conditioning coach was like in there slinging his rod, and you're like, I got, I can't believe it, man. No, I've never had a situation like that. I've had stuff where they're like, hey, man, uh, why don't you come row us down the river? Oh, yeah. Like, why, why don't, next Friday, let's go float Rock Creek. I'm like, no, I can't go float Rock Creek with you. I Like, if I'm going to float Rock Creek, I'm going to go guide it. Right, and right, right. Get to do it. Head on yeah. down to the outfitter and sign up like everyone else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you can go, you can go through the outfitter <laughs> at the end of the day if you want to go float that stuff. But I, we've seen, we'll see my buddies on the river sometimes, and that's always a hoot. And clients love it. They're like, "Oh, you know those guys? Yeah, those are my teammates. They're hanging out." So it's always friendly. It's never yeah. like, "Oh man," and especially around Missoula. There's the big rivers that you guide, like the Clark Fork, the Blackfoot, the Bitterroot, and Rock Creek, there's not a ton of secret spots you can take your boat into. So yeah. it's very common to see other people that you know. or um, And it's fun. It makes it fun because yeah. everybody's usually catching fish and having a good time. And my most usually see my buddies and they're maybe drinking too much or whatever <laughs> it might be when they're on the river. So, And I got to keep working so I can't get – too distracting. Yeah. yeah. Too conversational. Oh man, that guy's really slipping them up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got clients here. That, that, <laughs> let's get back to that too. Cause you, you have your guide license in Montana and in Montana, you have to, um, you have to work through an outfitter. What, what outfitter yep. do you work through? Let's make sure we, uh, people can get a hold of you or, and or them, et cetera. Yeah. I work through a handful of different outfitters. I do most of my trips through the Missoula river lodge. Um, you can see them online. It's montanaflyfishingguide.com. They have okay. a great website. Um, and I think they have some of the best guides 
in the area. All of their guides are very professional. They do a really, really good job. First class operation with. And they have they lodging. Have, they have lodging. They have a fantastic chef. Um, so if you want that kind of all inclusive package, that's that's probably the best your best bet in Missoula. They do a fantastic job. Um, but then I work for other people. Atlas Outfitting is one of my very good friends. Started his outfitter. It's uh, atlasoutfitting.com. It's his okay. information. He has a great website too. Um, and he does really good work and has great guides on his staff too. But um, so those are probably the two people who I do the most work for. Mm-hmm. And then a handful of kind of odds and ends stuff with private ranches who I'll go help with for a weekend. But mm-hmm. uh, the Missoula River Lodge and Atlas Outfitting are who I do most of my business through. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Both of um, of those outfits I've heard of in the past. And you're right. I mean, that Missoula area is like, it's just chock full of rivers and water, plenty of fish to go around. It's, it's a beautiful place to, to go oh, absolutely. And, and fish, man. Mine yeah, have always been out of the truck, you know, yeah. uh, and usually fumbling around, you know, talk to a few buddies, get a little bit of beta and then, you know, just go out and you know, bang them for a day. But man, I've, I've been in, uh, uh, up in there in, in ankle deep water with backs out of the water. And you're just like, you can't believe it. Man, oh, it's incredible. Yeah. We're, we're spoiled here. I think it's probably the Mecca of fly fishing. You can drive 10 minutes and fly fish, or you can drive two hours and you can fish a hundred different rivers in two hours. It seems yeah. like it's nonstop. Yeah. All the riv- rivers. And then you don't think about it, but all the little tribs that, uh, you exactly. know, run into them and, you know, um, accessibility is really good, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So yeah, great place to, to go fish and really, um, you know, get quite a bit out of it. Yeah. What, it's fantastic. What, from, from your perspective, um, you know, being an athlete and, and, you know, carrying the second job as a guide and getting started for, for you, what was the most enjoyable part of that kind of combination oh man i well i realized every day like i was truly living my dream i dreamed of guiding fishing and i dreamed of playing football for the grizz so getting to do both those things i just cherished it man it was a very kind of special combination that not a lot of people get to do and so i love i think i brought a really unique story to all of my clients and that's a big part of why people book a guide. They want somebody to talk to and to, uh, give them advice and teach them how to fish and just give them a great day. So they want somebody who, you know, a lot of them have kids who mm-hmm. went to college or maybe some of them were athletes. And so I could really relate to a lot of them. I was young, younger. I was most of their kids age. It was a right. very common thing. Um, so I really, I just had such great relationships with my clients and that's what I loved. I loved having people or showing people just a really great day and having them regardless of fishing or anything else, just having a really fun time with my clients. And uh, I still keep in great contact with a lot of my clients. And, uh, now I, you know, I've fished most of my trips, probably 90% of my trips with only three different people because they just are three different groups. They, kind of fill up my calendar and, cycle through yeah and so i mean we became great friends we talk all the time and that, i just love the relationship part of it it's i feel really lucky to get to 
show my resources and show what Missoula is to these people and um, how great, how lucky we are to live here. So yeah, yeah, I love that. I love just the relationships you make from guiding and how much fun that can all be. Yeah. It's gotta be fun to getting on the boat and having one of your repeat customers, you know, walking out to waiters and going, Oh man, I saw you on Saturday, light up 88. Oh gosh, you know, you wrecked him, you know? Oh, exactly. Yeah. They'll call, they'll call on Sundays after games and they want to hear all about it or they'll text right. me and say they saw the game on TV. And right. uh, we be, we played Washington, the university of Washington is uh, Pac-12 school my junior year at UW as a game that like those Pac-12 schools schedule to come beat up on a smaller school to start the season and it was the first game of the season and we went in there and beat them at Husky Stadium which was awesome it was yeah. one of the biggest upsets in college football history and my phone all of my clients were calling me and oh <laughs> we were on ESPN so everybody saw it and it was great. Just, yeah, that's, that's like, that's those relationships. They keep tabs on you and I'm friends with them on Facebook. And so it's just, it's really cool getting to do that. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, congrats. Congrats to you. And um, I remember hearing about that game. I didn't get to watch it, but that, that's a, that was an accomplishment for sure for the university. Yeah. It was part of that. Awesome to be a part of. Yeah. Um, let's do this. Let's jump into your tip. Um a cost-effective way of getting in the guiding and fly fishing. Um, we, we talked a little bit about this. You, you thought this would be a good subject because, you know, a lot of people, especially university students um, <clears throat> uh, or people who have multiple hobbies are going, yeah, I want to try fly fishing, but I don't want to go out and pay $500 for a rod and, uh, you know, another 300 bucks for a reel. And then, Oh, I got to get a line. Oh, now I got to get flies, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it's, it'd be great to hear uh, Cause you had some tips on boats and, and everything, the whole gamut. So jump, mm -hmm. jump on in and uh, give us some advice there. Yeah, absolutely. I, like we were saying earlier, I'm being a college student and trying to guide and be a, fly bomb at the same time you do not have the funds that some of these people have to support the addiction so um and i've had a very su successful career in fishing with not very expensive equipment and uh, my guide rods are orvis encounter combos that i think they retail for 150 bucks for the whole setup and um which is great and it's great that orvis I, I think Orvis does a fantastic job. They make the sport accessible. And so, yes, it's great to have a thousand dollar rod, but I can't even cast well enough to get the full thousand dollars out of that rod. It doesn't make sense for me. And you do, putting that rod in my hands is not going to make me a better fisherman. And it's certainly not going to make somebody who's never fished before a better fisherman. So I, I subscribe to the thought that, a rod's a rod and I would rather spend money on line than a rod and a reel. And I'm going to get good line. And a tip that I always do is I overline my rod. So all of my five weights, I have six weight line on. Um, and that's my preference because I don't cast very far. Do a lot of fishing from a boat where a 30 foot cast is your cast. And with put overlining those rods you can really feel especially for beginners you can feel that rod load when you have a heavier line on there right so it really kind of breaks down the the process of casting for them and i think it speeds up their learning curve but 
and that's what I fish with. I, yeah. Those are my personal rods too. So um, I don't think everybody needs to go buy H3s and these just incredible rods, which are great if you can afford them. Absolutely. Right. They're not going to make you a better fisherman. So get whatever you can afford, get a used rod on Craigslist and just get started. And, right. Uh, I like the overlining well, thing you said too. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but um, the overlining thing especially is really nice because you said you can feel the rod flex, etc. And then the nice thing about overlining, um, especially when you're guiding, is if you're, you're nymphing and whatnot, um, oh gosh, we got a party going on down here uh, with the pups. But um, especially if you're um, nymphing, it will turn your bobber over a lot easier for you. Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of a do-it-all rig. You don't need to go pick up a new rod to throw a bobber rig and then switch back to a dry fly rod. You can kind of do it all on one setup, um, which is great. And that's just all part of the again getting into it cheap you don't need to buy a specific dry fly rod and a specific nymphing rod and a specific streamer rod get a get a six weight or get a nine foot six weight or a nine foot five weight and do everything with it and it'll make you a better fisherman by learning how to use that rod in a bunch of different ways and seeing these rods are amazing the technology behind them and what they're capable of is amazing so by learning how to use them for everything they can be used to do will make you a better fisherman without having to spend all the money. Yeah. And an interesting scenario too, that rod you're fishing 10 years ago was a high end rod. Exactly. So, you know, it's changed a little bit like a, a cheap rod these days, an inexpensive rod, I should say not cheap, you know, inexpensive is a good rod in most oh. cases. They're fantastic rods. I think they're they're perfect. That's all that I need. And one day when I have enough money, I'll buy myself some really nice rods. But for now, I'm perfectly happy fishing the low end stuff and yeah. still catching a lot of fish on. And it's a difference too. If you're in uh, New Zealand or Socha yeah. or in your or, or some spring creek, you know, where you're delicate and it's crystal clear and you have to have the perfect presentation in order to trick the fish. That's a different scenario, right? Yeah, um, same thing. If it's um, you're fishing in the middle of Wyoming and it's always high winds midday, you want a fast ashing rod or something that can really turn the line over or you're saltwater fishing. You got to make those long casts. Again, different scenario, but for your average guy or gal that's get down on the river, an inexpensive rod is more than serviceable for what you're going to encounter 99% of the time and go have a great time. Absolutely. I totally agree. And kind of along those same lines, people look at, oh man, I got to buy waders and boots. And you don't, you don't need weight. If, unless you plan on fishing when it's cold out, which most beginners don't, you want to learn in the summer, wear your flip-flops or your yeah, Go wet weight, right? <laughs> yeah, wear shorts. You don't, you don't need to buy waders to get into fly fishing. You can wear muck boots in the winter and fish on the bank or get ankle deep and fish it's so much more accessible than people uh, think it to be. And if you want to do it bad enough and you want to learn, there's just, you can get into the sport very cheap. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about um, 
the other side of things, because there are a lot of guys and gals that are out there, you know, they're fishing, they're fly fishing. Um, they have their setup, but they're going, you know, I'd really like to get into a boat. Mm-hmm. And how do I do that uh, a little more cost effective, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. And with a boat, you know, the two common methods for fly fishing, the drift boat and the raft. Um, so for perfect example, I don't own a drift boat. I've guided along for a handful of years now out of nothing but a raft. Um, if I had the money, I, yeah, I'd love to get a drift boat too for the bigger water that I fish, but I can do it on a raft just fine. And, um, I ended up buying a nicer, I have an otter dodger now, but I started out, you can go on Craigslist and get a boat and I think NRS does a fantastic job with their customizable frames and you can add and subtract from it for whatever you want. But um, at least in Missoula, it's such a fly fishing oriented community that there's always rafts for sale on Craigslist and Facebook marketplace. And the same way with a better rods, not going to make you a better fisherman buying that brand new headhunter skiff before you know how to row it's not going to do you any justice. So right. go, go cut your teeth on a boat that you bought on Craigslist for the cheapest one you could find that holds air. Right. Learn how to row and get really confident rowing and learn how to row people into fish. And that's a skill that just takes time. A nicer boat is not going to teach you how to row people into fish. Mm-hmm. You learn that from doing it. So if you can learn to do it on the worst boat on the market, when you can afford that better raft or a drift boat and you get on the sticks on one of those boats, you're, it's going to feel like a breeze and you're going to be like, man, I I can use this boat for how it's meant to be used. And I'm capable of making it do these things that it can do. But if you don't know how to row, you get no benefit from jumping in some $16,000 drift boat. Yeah. In fact, it almost, it almost hinders you because, you're terrified the entire time you're going to yeah. smack something or bump, et cetera. You can make mistakes in a raft and bounce around and, oh man, I just got spun 180. All right, let me give you the guess right back here, guys. You know, you know, but if you're in a drift boat, that can be, it can be costly. Exactly. <laughs> you know? It can be real expensive, really fast. Yeah. 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 Uh, and they're, they're sinkable. Graphs yes. are hard to sink in comparison to a, a hard boat. <laughs> yes. And um, if you can row a raft in the wind, when you get in a drift boat, you're going to feel your arms will thank you and you'll be glad yeah. you learned how to do it in a raft and it'll make you appreciate it that much more. Yeah. Yep. Or holding in a seam or back rowing up a an eddy uh, to get another run, et cetera. Like all those things start to stack up. And then you get into, like you said, a boat with a low um, uh, glide on it, whatnot, man, it, it is, it's a world of difference. Exactly. And then, you know, the same goes with trailers. You can buy a great customized raft trailer. Um, Leo Larson with Montana Raft Frames, just outside of Missoula. He makes probably the best raft trailer in the world, I think. Um, but they're expensive. And there's plenty of people, you see it all the time around Missoula, people with ATV trailers or people with whatever they Old have. ski-doo trailers, yeah. Exactly. Old ski-doo, uh, an old pickup bed with an axle that they tow behind their truck and they cram a boat in there. Whatever the, you, you can strap a boat to the top of your truck or whatever you need to do to, do, to get into it. 
just do it. Find a way to get into it. And with that, and then that doesn't always involve spending an absurd amount of money. Yeah. The nice thing about a raft too is you can break it down and you can assemble yeah, it right there free. at the river. Um, I yep. mean, it's another hour out of your day, but it's exactly. part, of, part of the exercise, part of the prep with you and your buddies. You could be talking about, okay, this is what we're going to do, you know, make sure everybody's safe, blah, blah, blah. You know, so there's, there's a, like you said, it's, it's easy to get into, I think. Um, and there's other alternate personal pontoons or other alternatives to yeah. get on the water. They're really cost effective. Um, you know, so I love the tips and then go when you get your boat or you're looking at your boat, go online and look for tips for improvement. There's like, yes, everywhere you go, you can find, Oh, add this doodad or, you know, change your trailer by adding this front end roller on it. It'll make it this or that. So yeah, lots of um, opportunity out there to slowly improve and, and uh, get your system ready. Exactly. Yeah. And that's half the fun of it too, is dialing it in the way you want it and mm -hmm. um, adding and subtracting as you go. And, you might start, you, you hate to start out with all this stuff and then start using it. And it's like, well, man, I actually don't need 90% of this. I got right. all this stuff. Now my boat's super heavy and I don't use any of it. Right, right. You need a couple of uh, like couple beer holders and that's about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just stick some buddies in there and go learn how to do it together. Speaking of buddies, that's another, uh, I would say, tip is when you have a raft, um, you're not as hesitant to throw buddies on the sticks and let them learn. And exactly. I highly recommend that because when you do get your good boat, you want to be rowed sometimes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you don't always want to be the guy on the sticks. Partner. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's hear that. I'm sure you got plenty of strong buddies who are like, Hey, let's go. I'll, I'll row us. I'll row us. You know, I got this. Give us a couple of stories there. I'd love to hear that. Oh yeah, man. We have my, uh, one of my really closest friends. We went to high school very close to each other and got recruited kind of at the same time. And, um, we we're both committed to the Grizz and we lived in the dorm together and then got a house together and, he loved to fish too, but was just kind of figuring it out. And so I was helping him learn it all. And I was learning these fisheries too. So we did it together. Um, and so we'd go fishing all the time and he never rowed. Uh, we told him like, Hey man, you have to start rowing. Cause we play baseball <laughs> you catch two fish, then you're on the sticks. And then okay. he catches two there on the sticks and he was fishing all day and he never had to row. So um, we did our, one of our spring break trips. We left Missoula, started on the Bitterroot, uh, squala fishing, and then made it to Dillon, Montana, where we fished the Beaverhead for a couple days. And the Beaverhead was super low, so we didn't let him row the Beaverhead. Uh, we left the Beaverhead and went to the Madison for a day on the Madison, and we let him get on the sticks there for a little bit and quickly took him off because the Madison <laughs> was low and rocky and he bounced a couple times. We're like, ah, we'll, we'll try again later. Um, but after we fished the Madison, we went to the Henry's fork for like three days. And that's where we decided he has to row. Cause we all wanted to fish it. And the fishing was great. And uh, it was an episode. And luckily nobody else was on the river because it was so early <laughs> in the spring. Yeah. This so is like early had, April probably. Right. Or I think it was end of March, mid March. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. 
we had an early spring break and we went and we were actually in Dillon in a bar in Dillon the last night after we fished the Beaverhead before everything shut down for COVID. So it was right in that time frame where he's like, you better enjoy these last beers. (laughs) No more going to the bars for a while. Yeah. Right. But uh, the Henry's fork, it was, uh, we were laughing and we still talk about it going down, just wave trains backwards inside. <laughs> he's panicking. And he's a big dude. Like you said, he was 300 pounds at the time. He played offensive line for us. Uh, oh, God. Yeah, it's like so bending it, the sticks. He, he, he can anger sticks. him so hard. <laughs> the boat's always way too deep in the water because all of us are heavy <laughs> guys. And we got the dog with us. And, uh, so we looked like a circus going down the river a couple times, especially on that trip. But uh, he figured it out, and now he rows perfectly fine. Yeah, that's good. me into a lot of nice fish. That's good. That's good. Great stories, man. Well, Michael, I, I would I really enjoyed this. Um, it's been great having you on the show. I, you know, for me, I just really appreciated your work ethic um, through school. You know, it, it's a grind and. Uh, appreciated all this conversation, the stories and whatnot. So you, you have a good one, man. Let's uh, stay in touch for sure. And uh, go Grizz, right? Yeah, go Grizz, man. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. This was a ton of fun. Yeah, we enjoyed it, man. We'll see you guys next week. That's it for this week. Uh, take care. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.